Welcome to Cast and Wax. My name is Jordan D. White, and this is a podcast in which you will hear me and my co-host chatting, and then you will hear some awesome radio serials, lots of very interesting stuff. Just, again, I, I, I want to point something out. Um, all the all the archives of Cast and Wax are on the website, so you can download all the episodes right from episode one, and in many ways I do recommend it, because while it is totally cool if you just jump right in with this episode, it's totally cool, and I support that decision. Um, they, they are radio serials, a lot of them, so you'll, you'll get more enjoyment. I think if you go back and start with episode one, uh, but you can try to do both simultaneously. That's totally cool too. Um, we do have a whole bunch of radio serials, and this week we have uh, two that we're going to be hearing episodes of, along with some new stuff as well, as as there is every episode. And beginning with the new stuff is this segment right here where we're just chatting. So let me introduce my co-hosts. This gentleman right here is Mr. Frank Allen. Hello, uh, yeah, Frank Allen right here, and I. This is a show where I do get to do some some neat things. Uh, a lot of times uh, we're just hearing my old debate shows, which. I support those debate shows wholeheartedly. I think they're awesome. I love them. I love every second of them. I had a great time doing them, and I think that they still hold up today. But that being said, uh, today you get to hear me do something totally new, my Frank Allen interviews, which I think are really where my, my true interest lies nowadays. In, uh, in being an, uh, an uh, investigative journalist, you know, doing investigating things. Well, do you really investigate things? You just interview people. No, that's true. I do interview people, but I usually try to give it a slant where I'm trying to find something out or I'm trying to uh, illuminate something, bring something to light. Which, may, I mean, but that means you basically accuse people of things. I mean, I remember that one where you, you just went out on the street and accused people of random crimes. Well, okay, that wasn't my finest hour. But since then, I think I've, you know, I've actually put people in jail. Well, one person, and that was the troll person. It was kind of a miscarriage of justice, if you remember. No, I don't remember that. But anyway, look, I, I have a very informative and interesting thing today. So something you won't you won't see on network television yet. But if you're working for a network television, please, you know, contact me and we'll talk about it. Right. All right. Well, uh, next next up, we have Mr. Rory Sinjin here. Hello. Thank you very much, Jordan. Thank you very much for having me on again. Uh, I just would like to give an update. Uh, it has been two weeks since last time we did a show. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I meant to apologize about that. Sorry about that, guys. There was a wedding last weekend and I thought I'd have time to uh, to do both, but then I didn't, so uh, I wasn't able to do it. I'm sorry. Well, yes, th- but that wasn't why I was bringing it. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry about that. No, uh, the reason I was I was mentioning that it's been two weeks is that I wanted to say things are going along quite nicely as far as the Queen's Institute for Extra Historical Studies goes. I am making quite a bit of money. I've gotten some donations. I've gotten some people who said they were willing to buy things at exorbitant prices, like I had said. You know, things like that. Special extra historical reading deals where I charge more money, and then some of the money goes to the the Queen's Institute. All sorts of things like that. I do want to appreciate all of my uh, 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 customers who did help out. Anyone who's interested in extra history succeeding beyond this justice podcast and beyond just me, you know, something that can live on to the next generation. I, I Again, I want to thank everyone for that. Because, yeah, because the world needs a bunch of crap to be passed on. Well, no, the world needs extra history to be cra- passed on. It's not It's not crap. It's what I was... This is the point I was trying to make. Yeah. The point you were trying to make was that it wasn't crap. Well, no, that wasn't the point I was trying to make until after you called it crap. No, but now it's the point that I'm trying to make is that, no, it's not crap. It's, it's quite smart and it's quite, you know, good. Well, I don't think that that's true. I think that it's bull... 
and the, it's better if it dies out. That's why I closed down the Brooklyn Institute originally. Yes, thank you for reminding me of that, actually. Um, everyone, Frank Allen is the reason that extra history is an endangered field of study. So while you are donating money to, of course, help me and help the Queen's Institute, I also recommend that you donate money to hurting Frank Allen in some way or other. Uh, perhaps petitioning, you know, news outlets not to ever feature him on the, the broadcasts. No, no, or, no, no, no. There's no reason you know, to do that. Um, writing into magazines about how glad you are that he doesn't contribute to them. You no, know, that's, like that. that's unnecessary. Because that's way, you know, um, we can show that we don't appreciate people who are bigots. Bigots? Who are, bigots? You know, how, no, how am I a bigot? Because you judge. You know, you judge someone based solely on the thing that they do for a living. You know, I'm in the extra historical field and you are bigoted against me. Oh, that's not bigotry. If you, It would be bigotry if you were like a race. The race of, you know, a bub extra historians. It's not a race. It's a choice you make. I'm bigoted against a choice you make. You can't, I mean, you can't be bigoted against an action. You present yourself as an extra historian because you study extra history, and I call you a charlatan. You are a charlatan. I can tell by judging the actions that you take as an extra historian. But if you met someone who was an extra historian, you would be inclined immediately to think that they were a charlatan. Because they're saying they're an extra historian, which to me is a synonym for charlatan. That's be like saying if somebody's come in and said, I'm a con man, I would say, well, you're not a nice person, you know, because they've admitted to being a con man already. And that's the same thing with extra history. It's just a big con. I don't know, Frank. That sounds a little bigoted. Oh, it's not bigoted. You can't be bigoted against an occupation. Like I said, if they can't help it, like it's a race. I don't know. Well, I know enough for all of us. So, thank you. I, I would say that makes him a bigot then. Um, and at any rate, the Queen's Institute is coming along nicely. Hopefully, within the next, you know, month or two, I can raise the money and we can begin uh, um, fitting out the proper formats, uh, uh, the proper uh, forms, I should say. I'm sorry. Uh, to get the, the Institute underway. And, uh, of course, if anyone's looking to join the Institute, you know, at that point, I will be taking applications and uh, considering what the tuition will be. So, you know. Well, that's good. I, I'm happy for you, Rory. I'm very happy for you. And our final host is a very talented gentleman that you heard singing at the beginning of the episode, uh, which I think you, if you're a regular listener, you know what that means. Uh, my wonderful cat, Scape White. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening and thank you for waiting through this very long introduction for getting to me. I'm sure that's why you are listening, probably. But we did give you a little bit of music at the beginning to tease you and to whet your appetite for Scapey. Listening is a very good... You got it? That was good. And now, in this very episode that is gracing your ears as you listen and as I speak, or as you listen to me speak... At the very least, you will hear my new song. Okay, that's good. I, I hope it's good. I hope it's good because you want to get a good grade on it. I will. I'm sure I will. Well, at any rate, um, yes, Scapey is correct. You will be hearing his new installment of Pet Sounds. At the end of the show, his songs will open and close the show. His previous song opened it. His new song will close it. So, um, and I'm sure we're all excited for that. As you probably recall, it was, the assignment was uh, to do an 80s song, which uh, I heard you, you studied really hard what the 80s was like, right, Scapey? Yes, yes, I did. I watched all sorts of, I loved 80s shows, I think. That was a lot of fun. And uh, I watched some movies. I watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I watched Breakfast Club. Um, what did you think? Did you like Did you like Fer Ferris Bueller's movie I watched a lot when I was young? Did you like it a lot? Uh, it was pretty good. Uh, I liked the part where he, he kicks the car off the edge. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, uh, I did a song, so I'm excited. Um, yes. Right. And speaking of songs, it's time for us to do a little introductory song to uh, uh, the show we call Extra History Now, which is Rory's very first segment of the show. Rory, are you ready for this? Oh, yes, of course. And Scape, shall we do the song? Yes, please. 
I was playing the extra history. I, we, we always like improvise a little song. Dad, that you were playing my new song. Was I? Oh yeah, I guess that was the. It started out the same way. Dad, stop, stop! You're gonna spoil it. Well, I didn't mean to spoil it, but I mean, I was just if as long as you sing a different melody. Dad, just no. You, you're gonna get everybody bored with the song before they ever hear it. You gotta just play a different song. That was a bit of an ominous opening, but there you are. Um, I do believe we, we got another extra story now email this week, Jordan. That we did. We absolutely did. Let's, uh, let's, let's bring it right up. Uh, Frank, do you want to read this for Rory? Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, here it is. It says, uh, Dear Rory Saint. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what does it say? Does it say John? Yes, Rory St. John. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, I. <laughs> right, I should mention, actually, uh, we, we always say Rory's name is Rory Sinjin because. Well, because that's how it's pronounced, actually. Yes, well, yes, we say that because that's how it's pronounced, but it's it's spelled, if you were spelling it, it's spelled uh, St. John, uh, S T period space J O H N. Um, but, Frank, why don't you tell him? Well, uh, this. <laughs> This uh, uh, this email has it addressed to Rory Saint uh, Jean, as in uh, French, you know, Jean, J E A N. So Saint Jean, which would be what uh, Joan of Arc, I guess, right? Saint Joan. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. No, I'm not French. <laughs> right, Rory hates the French. No, I, it's not. I. It's not about hate. It's about. Well, this is like what Frank is saying. You know, it's not a bigotry thing because it's what the French actually do and how they, you know, how they present themselves. They actions they take. No, that's the, no, that's, no, because you can't help being French. I mean, well, after a while, you can, you can say, well, I'm going to leave France, but, you know, you're born in France, and then you're French, you know, you can't hold it against someone. Well, excuse me, but I think you can. And I'm not saying Jean, thank you very much, Rory St. Jean. All right, well, Rory, let's get over that. Um, I'm sure they, they meant to put Rory St. Jean if they just didn't realize how to, how to spell it. Well, then you should spell it better. All right, well, Frank, go ahead and read the, uh, Letter. Dear Rory St. John. No, it's no, it's Rory St. John. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Rory, I'm sorry. Dear Rory St. John, which is not what it says, but okay. Well, thank you. Um, after much thought and consideration, I've come up with a problem for you. All of my roommates, I have five, by the way, seem to have come down with a virus. It makes them wild and full of rage, hungry for human flesh and irrevocably slow. How should I handle the zombie apocalypse that is bound to happen unless I control these five girls? Rory, you alone can solve this problem. Well, uh, is it signed by anyone? Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. It's uh, Jess Delane. Right. Okay, yes. Uh, Jess, thank you for writing in, first of all. I'm not French, and I am insulted by the implication that I am French. So, you know, first of all, I just want to clear the air on that. I'm not French in even in the slightest. Right, well, but uh, can you get to her? No, but okay. That, but I, I had to clear that up because that's at the beginning of the letter. It starts with St. Jean, which is obviously not me. I'm Rory St. John, which is a very British thing. No, we know. You're British. You're British. Go on. Right. 
Number two, um, how can I solve this problem? Well, extra history is not about solving problems, but perhaps after I, I've done the reading, I can give you my advice. It's a separate thing, though. But now, now to the reading. Um, now, you say the problem that you have is they've come down with this virus, your five roommates, that has made them wild and full of rage. Well, you'll be interested to know that there is another world in which your roommate did not come down with this virus, and as such did not become full of rage hungry for human flesh, or irrevocably slow. They merely decided to kill you. And not being consumed with rage or slow, they went about it thoughtfully and methodically. They planned out the perfect murder, and they took their time about it so you would never even remotely suspect. They began poisoning you slowly over the course of months, so that every meal that you ate, every drink that you drank, had a little bit more poison building up in the fat cells of your body. Not that I'm saying you're fat or anything like that. I'm just saying everyone has fat cells, you know. The poison builds up. You just made it worse by saying. Well, look, uh, but it's not about that. It's about the poisons. I'm talking, it would happen to me, it would happen to you, it would happen to Frank, it would happen to everyone. If, you know, it was this other world. So the poison's building up in the fat cells. So that, at some point down the line, as they begin to break down, poisons are released into your body. This was an episode of House. I saw there was an episode of House where that happened. Not, somebody wasn't poisoning them. But no, it's, uh, but it's because it it could happen in real life. Look, can you just can you can I finish? Yeah, well, if you if you got to. Well, I I do. So all right. Look, the point is they poisoned you and you died. So that's another world. All right. So this world, they're slow. They're like zombies. Take them out, obviously. You know, it's it's much easier to kill them if they're moving slowly and methodically. I mean, not methodically, slowly and you know, brainlessly. You you're saying they're full of rage, but they're irrevocably slow. So you know, just grab a blunt instrument, beat them about the head. You know, until they stop moving. That's something that you would not be allowed to do in the other world because even if you suspected that they were trying to kill you you know there's five of them you'd have to prove that it was a conspiracy you couldn't just beat one to death uh, the other four would would testify against you say you you went into you went into a wild rage you know they, they it, it, it would have been a bad situation whereas in this world feel free to beat them to death you know no one will everyone will applaud if you say you know they're zombies nobody likes zombies i mean people like zombies you know they like watching films about zombies but they don't like being eaten by zombies and so all you have to do is, like I said, beat them to death. Look, it's it's very simple. Right. So this is the show where Rory advises a woman to beat her roommates to death. What do you think, Scape? It's the best thing that I've ever heard. And I've heard a lot of good things in my time. Excellent. All right. Well, let's move on to the very first serial. Uh, we've got two, like I said today. This one is, uh, oh, it's an episode I really love. It's uh, it's an episode of Like Daughter, in which uh, Pandora is faced with this gentleman named Emmanuel Blackstone. And uh, he just came in as part of the conspiracy against schizophrenic kooks and said he was going to kill her. So let's see what happens with that. Episode 8, Abandon All Hope. 
by Jordan D. White. Emmanuel Blackstone was born in Providence, Rhode Island on May 14, 1965. His youth was fairly typical for children of his social standing, that of a middle-class black family. He was a dedicated student, and graduating at the top of his high school class, was accepted into Brown University as part of the class of 1987. Once there, he took an active interest in psychology, and by the spring of his freshman year, he was well known by most of the professors in the department. Three years later, he again topped his class and moved directly into the PhD program at Stanford. It was there that he began to specialize in the treatment of schizophrenia. This interest grew slowly into obsession. Upon receipt of his degree, he was immediately recognized as one of the foremost minds in the field of treatment of of schizophrenic patients. He had believed he could cure the disease, and as he came across stumbling block after stumbling block, his frustration turned to hatred. Where once he'd felt sympathy for the deluded victims of this disease, feeling their every disordered thought tug on his heart, he found himself sickened, his guts clenching with disgust at the very sight of them. That's when I knew I had to do something about it. Why are you telling me all this? You break into my house, activate some sort of secret password at all my friends, and tell me you're going to kill me. What are you going to do, bore me to death with your life story? I'm getting there, girl. Patience. You see, I noticed something they all had in common. Every single one of the crazy bastards. What's that? Cask. They were all a part of it. That, or they were fighting it. But your cask! What, the conspiracy against schizophrenic kooks? That's a trick, girl. I chose the name just to draw them out. Every one of those nut jobs was involved in this cast thing one way or another. Canadians allied in support of kilts, the campaign against spicy ketchup, clinical anatomical skills, constant awareness spots kleptomaniacs, Christians absolving sinful kindnesses, cost of available seat kilometer, the Center for Aztec Secret Knowledge, collectors of ancient Sicilian cupies, the cultural attache for Southern Kazakhstan, calcium calmodulation, Dependent serine protein kinase, crabby angry spastic fetching, citizens adept at stopping knaves, Carousel Academy School of Karate, the Connecticut Algonquian smokers of Kinnikinnik, Cobra and Asp Snake. Okay, okay! There's a lot of cask! I know! What's your point? My point is, I noticed the pattern. None of them saw it, but I did. Cask was there with them every step of the insane way. That's when I knew for sure. That there really was a conspiracy and that they weren't crazy? What? No, of course not. They were schizophrenic. Of course they was insane. I realized that that was the conspiracy. It was a vast array of insanity, connected from one mind to the next through the crazy waves they all emanate from their warped little minds. Through what now? So I started the conspiracy against schizophrenic kooks as a counter-conspiracy, with the goal of destroying them, one and all. That's what led me to your mother. I met her at a concert of Audible Sonic Cats and Jammers, and I knew within minutes 
minute she was one of them. She was as crazy as the day is long, and I'm talking about June 21st. At first I thought I would just kill her, but the more I followed her around, the more I realized she knew. She knew about the real cask. Real cask? But you said there was no conspiracy. Of course there is. The crazy is the conspiracy. But the question is, who made the crazy? God would never make people this insane. I knew there had to be someone behind it. Your mother led me right to their doorstep. The headquarters of cask. I saw it all. The files. The corpses in the habeas project. The schools of fish in the freshwater brainwashing tanks. The monkeys in the monkey back labs. The things I saw. I was lucky to escape with my own sanity intact. Oh, clearly. But escape I did. And with information. I learned how to access Cask's secret databases. That's where I learned the code words for your little friends here. They got files on all their crazy. They're all Cask? All of them? Of course they are. Tabitha's the newest recruit with our new campaign. George has been in it for the koalas for a while now. Bobby here's been a member since he joined the computer and science club in the second grade. I bet his implant has some great information on it. Too bad. Bobby, keyword, Quetzalcoatl boom. Yes, sir. What are you doing? Tabitha, keyword, vigilance boom. Yes, sir. Where where are they going? George, keyword, condiment boom. Yes, sir. What's going on here? What are you doing to them? The same thing I've been doing since I started my counter conspiracy. Destroying cask and everything it makes madness for. I've commandeered their faithful little drones here and sent them back to self-destruct at various cask locations. In an hour or two, there will be three more cask cells wiped off the face of the planet. Well, three cells plus your three frames. What? I've got to stop them. If you don't mind, I'll just- Stay right there, little girl. You're not going anywhere. You got some information I need. You just sent my boyfriend and my uh, ex-best friend out there to die. And the son of the underwire model Francesco Batista. That doesn't make up for it. I'm not telling you anything. Oh, you will. You'll tell me where I can find your father's body. And then, when I'm sure you're telling the truth, I'll put you out of my misery. My father's corpse? What are you- You cast girls are so good at playing dumb. Thankfully, I don't have to rely on your willingness to talk. I've got a shortcut. What, torture? Do your worst. No, not torture. Something far simpler. I told you. Cask is a file on all their crazies. I know your keywords. You, you mean I? Pandora ca- keyword stalagmite. Was something supposed to happen, or what? The Pandora keyword mercurio. You know, maybe there's another Pandora, darling. It's a pretty common name. This can't be right. I told you, I'm not Cask. And what do you want with my father's corpse anyway? You can stop pretending, Potato. I know your mother's kill situation assistance contingency led you right to him. I know that's where she stored her most secret contingency plan. Pandora keyword, stingery. You know, I've heard the definition of insanity is- You dare call me crazy? You, the daughter of the most infamous cask operative ever? My mother was most definitely not cast. Ha! Of course she'd tell you that. She didn't have a chip. Because they collected it, of course. How did you think they knew to come after you? It's all connected. You're crazy! 
crazy. I'm not crazy. You'll never make me crazy. You got that? Okay, deal. You're not crazy. I'm not crazy. Can we all just get along now? Not a chance, Potato. I know you're one of them. I can see the bright purple crazy rays shooting out of your skull to their insanity light. Probably sending them telemetry on how to kill me as we speak. Probably gathering crazy agnostic socialist knights to take me down. I can feel them. Constitutionally armed satanic killers drawn in closer, ever closer. You can't get me, you hear? I'm bulletproof. You hear me? Bulletproof. I drank the super soldier serum. I'm the new Captain America social construct. You just watch. I'll show you. I'll show you all. You hear me, Cask? It's me, Emmanuel Blackstone. I'll get you yet. I'll get you. He, he shot himself in the head? Why would he? No, I don't have time for that. Bobby, Tabby, how am I supposed to find them? Damn it, I have no idea where to even start. If only my mom was... Wait! Pandora left the body on the floor and quickly ran up to her bedroom. She walked to the edge of the metal box she slept in and looked inside. Within, she saw the smaller metal box her mother had left her as a kill situation assistance contingency. She picked it up and opened the lid. The recording hopped back a second and... And continued playing. Oh, right. Uh, you need to know about your father and how to find him. This is the next step of my contingency plan, and it's a big one. You need to find your father's body. It's where I stored, well, something important. I don't want to say just what in case this falls into Cask's hands. I know it's sort of morbid, but... I loved your father, Potato. I loved him so much, but I never trusted him with the truth. If I had, maybe he wouldn't have... I know it's too late to make it up to him, but I thought trusting him with my most important secret would be the least I could do. I always told you we buried him in Greenlawn Cemetery, but the plot is empty. In reality, you'll find him in the place I first told you about his death, and remember the year he died. Good luck, Potato. This is going to be the last you hear from me. I'm counting on you. But no matter what, just remember, I'm proud of you. I love you. Goodbye. Pandora blinked the moisture out of her eyes as the player ceased its whirring and powered down, as dead as the woman who'd recorded it. She gently closed the lid and placed the box on her desk. She looked next to her desk at the framed 12 by 8 photo of her and her mother standing on the boardwalk in Wildwood, New Jersey in the summer of 1998. The sky was a bright clear blue and they were smiling. Hope's arm around her daughter's waist, Pandora, was wearing a hat that looked like a big foam lizard. That was the summer, that was the day, in fact, that she'd learned about her father's death. Mom? Yes, Potato? What? Um, what happened to my dad? I told you, Potato. He he passed away when you were two. But I mean, how did he die? Was he in the army? Did he die in Vietnam? What? No, dear, no. He was... he was shot. Shot? Why would someone want to shoot him? Was he a criminal? No, sweetie, of course not. Your father was the most wonderful man I ever met. He didn't have an evil bone in his body. He wouldn't hurt a fly to feed a starving spider. He was handsome and caring, and he loved you very much. So why did he die? Things are never that simple, Potato. Your father... your father was very protective of me. 
we were on vacation that summer for a weekend in Libya, which is, which is a country very far away. While we were there, some very bad people threatened us. Me, really. They wanted to hurt me. Why would they want to do that? They thought that I had gone somewhere I shouldn't have, that I took something that belonged to them. Of course, they were mistaken, but they were very serious about it and were very angry, and they wouldn't believe me. Your father... Your father believed that I was innocent, so he, he told them he was the one who'd stolen from them. He lied? Yes, but this was a good lie, a noble lie, a selfless lie. I tried to stop him, but it happened too quickly. By the time I realized what he'd done, your father was arrested. He was tried by their government and found guilty, and a week or so later, well, they killed him. But why? Why did they kill him? I wish I could tell you, Potato. Sometimes people are just... There are some people in this world, Potato, who are very bad who only want to hurt others and make the world a worse place. Those are the people who killed your father, baby, and your mother will always protect you from them. There is nothing anyone can do to me to stop me from protecting you, I promise. Oh, Mom, if only that were true. Pandora took the picture down off the wall and ran her fingertips over her dead mother's face. She was considering how and when she would be able to get to Wildwood, New Jersey, as she reached up to replace the frame, when she noticed the slight indent in the wallpaper where the frame sat. It was a square, eight by ten or so, just behind where the picture sat. She put the picture down and knocked on the square. It was hollow. She grabbed a letter opener and cut around the edges, then pulled out the panel. Behind it was a small safe with a digital keypad. Mom, you tricky little minx. Now it's, of course, the year he died. 1992. The lock beeped and the door clicked open. Pandora turned her desk lamp to shine into the darkness, revealing a bronze urn within the safe. Dad? She picked up the urn and cradled it gently in her hands as she lifted it out of the safe. She looked down at it, the receptacle which contained presumably the remains of a father she'd barely remembered, along with her mother's secret plans. Here goes nothing. She opened the lid. An enormous 12-inch hypodermic needle shot out of the urn and lodged itself in her lower abdomen. Pandora noticed clearish liquid inject into her before she screamed and lost her grip on the urn. Her father's ashes flew into the air, covering her in the immediate area with his remains. What will Pandora's next move be without her mother's help? Will Bobby, Tabby, and George survive their suicide runs? How exactly do you spell Quetzalcoatl? The answers to every one of these questions will be revealed in the next episode of Like Daughter, 3 to 1. In that episode of Like Daughter, the narrator was Charles Berman, Pandora Darling was Guinevere Eckert, Tabby was Ava Rosenblatt, Bobby was Jordan D. White, George Batista was Nicholas Roach, and Emmanuel Blackstone was Aaron Freakin' Gold. 
The theme song was by Jordan D. White. Yes, yes it was. Thank you very much, Rory, and thank you for listening to that. Speaking of which, Rory, you've been doing such a nice job with Extra History to this episode, so to speak. Why don't we go right on to your next Extra Historical segment, This Day in History and its follow-up, which is always all new. Where are they now in history? Yes, absolutely. Now, again, because we missed last week, we're doing two weeks of This Day in History today, and one episode of Where Are They Now in History that encompasses the answer and follow-up to both of them. Let's listen. Welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Stingen. On October 19th, 1812, one month after Napoleon Bonaparte's massive invading force entered a burning and deserted Moscow, the starving French army is forced to begin a hasty retreat out of Russia. Oh, I'm defeated and hungry. I could eat a petite child. Ho ho ho! How good it is that I have utterly conquered Moscow! Man, what a crapple. Oh, he's he's so little. He's like a baby. Like a what? sweet little fat baby. Ah, <laughs> Russians I do not know. Clearly nothing bad will happen from talking to them. Hello, I am Napoleon Bonaparte, your new emperor. I cause the leg. Oh no! My bits! Now, Napoleon, of course, was not actually a small child, but your small child shouldn't talk to strangers, or else Russian people will probably eat them. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On October 26, 1984, at Loma Linda University Medical Center in Loma Linda, California, Dr. Leonard L. Bailey performs the first baboon-to-human heart transplant, replacing a 14-day-old infant girl's defective heart with a healthy walnut-sized heart of a young baboon. Let's listen. Scalpel. Scalpel. Oof. This is pretty awful, huh? This is pretty awful, huh? Donaldson, are you just going to repeat everything I say? Donaldson, are you just going to repeat everything I say? Well, then repeat this. Well, then repeat this. It's really terrible that I have to replace this little girl's heart. If her parents hadn't been so careless sticking their arms out the window of cars, this wouldn't have happened. Oh, now I slipped. Suction! (laughs) Donaldson, infant bleeding out. Suction! (laughs) Somebody kicked Donaldson in the face. (laughs) Ah! What do you want? Suction. It was in fact very fortunate that the child did survive both the horrible, horrible incident of sticking arms out windows of moving vehicles and the awful thing of falling asleep during important surgery. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But don't go to sleep yet. My name's Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Rack. And I'd like to illustrate that point with some more examples. You see, it was in the 1980s in Loma Linda, California, where things got even worse. After falling asleep in an operation, replacing a baby's heart, the sloppy, unprofessional surgeon known as Donaldson came out of the operating theater carrying the baby, still a little drowsy. A couple came running up to Donaldson saying, Oh, da, that is our baby. Yes, we would like to take the baby, da. Donaldson, being completely irresponsible, just handed over the baby. The strangers, of course, as you could tell, were Russians, and they began eating the baby. However, the Russians were not aware that the baby's heart had been replaced by a baboon heart, and as we all know, baboon hearts are harmful if swallowed. The two Russians decided they needed to go to a hospital to take care of this baboon heart situation, but they didn't want to do it at this hospital since they had just kidnapped and eaten a baby there. So they ran out to their car and started driving as fast as humanly possible to another hospital across town, but they were so out of their gourds on baboon hearts that they were sticking their arms out the windows. One of them hit a street sign, it lobbed their arms off, started shooting fountains of blood all over the place and they crashed and exploded. So make sure that you don't eat baboon hearts or kidnap children and eat them or let children go with strangers that you don't know or fall asleep in a surgery or put your arms out windows. This is Rory Sinjin with Where Are They Now in History on Cassid Wax. I don't think that Russian people tend to eat babies. You know, tendencies don't really enter into it. Anyone could eat a baby if they were hungry enough. Yeah, so why was the couple in a hospital 
in California in the 80s hungry enough that they wanted to eat a baby. That couple happened to be psychotic, and they were also Russian. It, it, look, it's a coincidence to some extent, but it fit very well with the situation that I was looking for, so that was the world I went with. I'm just saying, we know some Russian people. You know, uh, Dr. Stelov is Russian, and I think that he uh, would not be happy to hear that you were saying Russian people ate babies. What was that? That was actually, uh, uh, speaking of Dr. Stelov, a device that Dr. Stelov gave me. It is a truth detector. A truth detector. Yeah, it's like a lie detector, uh, except you turn it on and it doesn't, it do, it's not able to detect lies, unfortunately, but it is able to detect the truth. So when you tell the truth, it dings. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Nope. No, apparently it's not. <sighs> That's fair. I've heard a lot of stupid things from Rory here. And now this machine is conspiring against me. Well, no, apparently it isn't. Or else it would have dinged. See? I like this device. Well, you do for now, but be careful, because eventually it'll start calling you on lies. Well, no, see, it won't, because it only detects the truth. It doesn't tell you about lies. But one can deduce when a statement is made, you know this. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Well, look, the point I was trying to make was, the where are they now in history we heard was incredibly dumb. D excuse me. It was not dumb, and, you know, it, it actually takes place in another world. Ah. You got caught on that one, apparently. This, no, this, that's not, that's not true. This device, that, I don't understand. Look, I, I don't know how this device works, but I do know that perhaps it is not sensitive to otherworldly, you know, crossover. And when I, when I address the field of extra history, it, it blows its senses. Well, it didn't ding, so that seems not to be true. But I was talking about extra history at the time, so it was blowing its senses as, as I spoke. So, look, the point is, you may say that it detects truth, but I don't believe it. Uh, it says you're lying. No, look, I'll, I'll, look, I'm going to get my own little, you know, bell, and I'm just going to ring it just to confuse everything. No, no, you're not. I'm, I'm, that's it, I'm just fine, I'm just not going to talk until you turn it off, that's all there is to it. Ooh, he's threatening us, Frank. Didn't we do this to you once, where we said you weren't allowed to talk? Well, I was, no, I was trying to prove that I could go an hour without talking, and then you screwed me. Well, I'm sorry about that. Ah, oh, you jerk, you're not sorry. It was really funny, so... You know, I... I maybe I... Uh, maybe I should turn this thing off. Oh, but it's so much fun. But it's gonna expose all of our lies. Basically. Oh, that's true. All right, all right. Well, no, wait, wait. Don't turn it off yet. Wait until uh, after the next show so we don't have to listen to Rory in the meantime. Oh, uh, that's a good idea. Uh, this next serial is, of course, Epic Echoes. It was an episode written by Mr. Charles Berman, although he wrote it under a uh, strange version of his name. Uh, it's an episode that is really whacked out of its cord. Uh, it's really grown on me a lot, though. At first, when I first read it, I was like, oh, whoa, uh, like that. See? Uh, but now I really do like it a lot. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, so hopefully you'll enjoy it as well. Here's Epic Echoes. Echoes the Backward Series, Season 4, Episode 4, Sacrificial Altar, by C. Henry Berman. 
For the headstrong Max Thornfield, leader of the intrepid Flash Pack, there was never a restful moment. Only shortly after dealing with the threat presented by Corporal Contradiction and his resuscitator of death, Max had finally found himself mired in a situation he truly couldn't handle. A seemingly endless communicator call with the head of marketing and merchandise from Flash Pack Comics. Look, I just don't think an official Flash Pack trench coat would be in the real spirit of... No, no flashback cigarette lighter either. I... Listen, Ralph, I'll talk to you later. What is it, Molly? Well, I've been in my mad science laboratory, and I've put together this idea for a portable lamp we could use traveling through dark places. We could market it as the flashlight, and... I think that idea's already been... Just then, the familiar form that Max had known so well since childhood as Captain Eternity appeared suddenly in the air. Captain Eternity! No, it's Captain Mom... And with that, he was gone. I can't say that I think the name change is very flattering. Momentary! I'm here from Alter... Gone again. Hmm. This Captain Momentary is a lot more irritating to listen to than Captain Eternity. Earth! A parallel universe to warn you of the danger. I can see what you mean. Danger posed to both our worlds by the cause... But he's been dead for years. And even in life, he was just a lovable father figure in a warm-hearted TV series. I don't think Captain Momentary is coming back again. We'll have to find a way to get to this Alter Earth and find this mysterious cause. I'm sure we can manage it together, Max. Of course we can. Go get Slaughter, Dralis, and Keen. We'll see if that magic cat has a spell for parallel worlds. Of course the magic cat had a spell for parallel worlds. Of course I have a spell for parallel worlds. It's just two spells for adjacent worlds in a row. It's pretty obvious if you actually fake for a minute. Okay. Turn around. The intrepid team soon found themselves, with the help of Fertress's spell and Keen's transport belt, in an area that closely approximated the layout of New York's Borough of Queens and their own version of Earth. I think our best bet is to make for the equivalent of where Captain Eternity lives in our version of Earth, and hope that's where Captain Momentary lives on Alter Earth. It's this way. He lives in Queens? Well, he once heard that someone who lived forever would make the world's greatest historian. That's terrible! <sighs> there are worse places to live. Now let's be on our guard, Pack. We don't know who this causes, but the fate of the two worlds may be in our hands. Let's prove that Julie didn't die in vain. Flashback! Flashback! This is the door. Captain Momentary's residence? Uh, hi. We're the Flashback. From the other Earth. Ah, you mean direct Earth. This here's Alter Earth. I know that, Mouse Brain. You're always right behind us, but we never notice you. That's a little creepy. Exactly. I'm Texas Dallas Texas Mornstar, but you can call me Tex. I'm the tailor of the state of New Mexico. The tailor? Sure. It's like the governor. On direct earth, you put the people in charge who are best at directing things. On alter earth, the people who lead are the ones who alter the most. Anyway, come on in. The captain has been expecting you. Are you going to let us know what exactly the threat is from this evil cause that Captain Momentary mentioned? Evil cause? Nothing, as far as I know. He was hilarious on television, but an awful role model. I don't think we're worried about anybody but the cosmic realtor at the moment. Ah, I see. You know of him? No. Oh, well, he wants to take over our universe. I never understood what would motivate someone to do that. What could you want to do with the whole universe once you own it, anyway? He wants to sell it. That's why he's called the Cosmic Realtor. Ah, really should have guessed that. Not to worry. Come on into the other room. Flashpack, meet Empress Petra in the place where 
Captain Momentary was standing a moment ago. And the assembled members of the Ultra Earth Sail Opposition Action Committee. Catchy name. Thanks! I was being sarcastic. Why not just call it contraband? Hmm, because I'm over 12. I'm 23. My point. Oh, mistress of all people and supreme seamstress, allow me to present the flashback. You're honored, I'm sure. In the absence of Captain Moment... Oh, there you are. <laughs> oh. Right, there he goes again. In any case, allow me to explain the problem presented by the Cosmic Realtor. Selling our universe to the highest bidder places it on the free market. All the people of Alter Earth would become commodities, and as you know, commodities on the free market can under no circumstances be controlled. It is essential that I maintain absolute control over my people. So essentially you're asking us to help you dominate your own people and keep them in a state of slavery. Exactly. I'm sorry, Your Excellency, but we can't be a party to the maintenance of a state of slavery on this or any other version of Earth. Why not? I really don't see what the big deal is. Jimmy, what about that equality of all men that you keep mentioning? How the gods who gave us life give us liberty at the same time? I know, the hand of force may destroy but cannot disjoin them. I still don't see how that contradicts slavery. If objects can be property, why can't people? What about all your talk of universal love? I could love property just as much as I could a free person. I find your ideas fascinating, Kovacs, but this is a discussion for another time. The fact is that the cosmic realtor is a threat to us all. It's true, Max. If one world is sold, then the inhabitants of all of them become instantly commodified. It would be like sacrificing free will to whoever controls the means of production, distribution, and exchange. You're right. Who does this cosmic realtor plan to sell Ultra Earth to anyway? Whoever rules direct Earth, Obviously. The Empress is right. I mean, galloping galaxies. Antediluvian and intolerable as we might find her political ideas, we have to admit that none of us want Ultra Earth to be sold over to Direct Earth. It would imperil some of our dearest freedoms. Not to mention that the transportation of an entire planet alone from one universe to another would put so much of a strain on the galactic power source that physical displacement would be impossible at the shift point, and both worlds would be destroyed. That too. Flashback! While Jimmy engaged in a private closed-door session with the ravishing, anti-emancipationist queen of Alter Earth, and Fertress discovered that Alter Earth catnip was even more mind-altering than what he was used to, the rest of the flashback had been forced to discuss action possibilities for hours with the frustratingly slow-working committee. No matter what you say, I refuse to believe that a real estate agent could put up much of a fight. Look, all we have to do is make the world seem like as unappealing a piece of real estate land as ever was sold. Talk about nearby railway tracks. The Cosmic Realtor will have to get up his plans to control it. You have to do is definitely much easier. If I could speak to you kids alone for a few minutes. Sure. Listen, guys, I know this isn't the way things are done around your parts, but I believe the reason our fellow delegates don't trust you is that you're totally unaltered. We do come from a different dimension. Still, I would personally recommend something fairly drastic if you want them to even begin to listen to what you have to say. Uh... Such as what? Well, a sex change is an old standby, and they're discounted at the moment. I'd be happy to make everyone's new clothes. I suppose you but would. Tex, I already had a sex change during the intercession a few hours ago. Remember? Don't you think I look glamorous? Oh, of course. Sorry I didn't notice that, Max. I'll show the rest of you to the clinic down the street. It's totally reversible. In fact, the more times it's reversed and the more alterations, the better. Yeah! You'd better go, guys. I'd be curious to see what some of you guys look like as the opposite sex. Besides, it's for the sake of saving the world. While Keen, Slaughter, Molly, and Fertress were leaving with text for the sex change clinic, Jimmy Kovacs was lying tranquil and satisfied on the borrowed bed of Captain Momentary with Empress Petra of Alter Earth, who caressed him tenderly as she began to speak. Won't your friends be missing you? 
They'll still be mired in that boring debate. If you don't think they'll need you, I can take you to see where I live at Shea Stadium. Shea Stadium? Isn't that where the New York Mets used to play? No, the Mets? They play at Ashburn Palace. Petra, Empress of the World. Hello? Oh, good. Ah, oh, perfect. I'll tell him. Bye-bye. Jimmy, why don't you go find Tex and your friends at the sex change clinic and uh, call me when you're through. The what change clinic? Sex change. You're in Alter Earth. You don't think you're going to spend your whole visit without being altered a few times, do you? You mean people here... Oh, yes. All the time. Of course, the rich can afford more of them, but as the richest person on the planet, that's not a problem for me. I think, yeah, yeah, I, th I think I started as Emperor Pyotr. That's what it says on the coins. <laughs> oh, oh my god, ugh! Jimmy ran from the room to find his friends at the clinic and arrived just as Slatter was emerging, newly changed from the operating theater. My god, are you actually doing it? Yeah, well, they said it was reversible. Guys, we don't have to subscribe ourselves to Alter Earth's social conventions in order to defeat the Cosmic Realtor. Oh yeah, smarty... Pants? Where are your pants? Do you have a plan? Of course. The way to defeat a sale is to drive prices so low that it's not worth it anymore for the seller. How do you propose to do that exactly? I do have a spell for that if you stupid people had bothered to ask. I just have to mass produce worlds and flood the market. Plutonian parakeets, cat. Where? Er, I mean, cat man. Whatever. Just do the spell and let us get out of here. You might have waited until I could get turned back into a woman again. Oh, sorry about that. Come on, Slaughter. Why not try it for a while? Congratulations on your incredible feat! On behalf of Her Majesty, I would like to present you with a reward. Hmm. Oh, well. How long will Slaughter stay a man? Why does Dralis want him to try it out for a while? Will Captain Momentary reappear momentarily with a reward? Will Jimmy get over the trauma of his recent encounter with the Empress? Find out some of these things in next week's episode in Love and Hate. In that episode of Epic Echoes, Guinevere Eckert was the narrator, Nicholas Roach was Max Thornfield, Angela Tymon was Dralis Thornfield, Devin White was Molly Singh, Lynn Nelson was Jill Slaughter, Tong Wen Wong was Sarah Keen, Daniel Schwartz was Jimmy Kovacs, Scape White was Fertress Fuzzbottom, Elijah Weberhan was Tex Mornstar, Andrew Teller was Manslaughter, Ava Rosenblatt was Empress Petra, and Ryan Granger was Captain Momentary. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card, Mikowski. Thank you very much, Roy, and obviously you were telling the truth. You said you were turning that thing off. I know, I just, I turned it back on for a minute as a joke, um, but I'm turning it, I'm turning it off now, I'm turning it off now. Well, it didn't ding, so obviously you're not turning it off. I already turned it off. That's why I already turned it off. And so that's why it's not dinging even as I say this to confirm that I'm telling the truth right now. So it's off. Yes, it's, it is It is off now. It is absolutely off. All right, good. Yeah, Jordan wouldn't lie about it being off. So, okay, I think we can continue the show now. Right, yes. Yes, I think we can. Normally at this part of the show, uh, if there's a, a Frank Allen section earlier in the show, we'd be having a Scapey story. But as there was no Frank Allen part of the show yet, and Scape has his song later in the episode, it is now time for a Frank Allen interview. You said you turned it off. What are you doing? <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. All right, guys. Look, 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 look. Okay, okay. Watch, watch, watch. It's on right now, okay? It's on right now. See? Okay. So now we've proven that it's on. All right, yes. Obviously it's on, yes. I'm going to turn it off now. See? So now you know it's true. There. It's off, okay? Well, I, you know, tell me what your name is. Say what your name is. My name is Farfagnugan Blarksnaggle. Well, no, that's, you have to tell the truth. Say what your name actually is. All right, all right, all right. My name is Jordan White. Jordan D. White. My name is Jordan D. White. 
All right, so it's off now. Okay, good. So I can get to my part of the show now that I've been finally building towards. Yes, please go right ahead. Right. Okay, so this is Frank Allen interview. Very serious topic. It's about the swine flu, which I know everybody's very upset about recently because it kills people and stuff. Also, you know, if people get sick. There's a, a, a vaccination. Everybody wants to know if they should get, you know, get behind it. Well, I did an investigative interview about it. So uh, hopefully everybody will have all their questions answered by this. Frank Allen Interviews. Starring Frank Allen. Hello and welcome to Frank Allen Interviews. My name is Frank Allen. We've got a highly informative episode for you today. We have a special guest. I, I don't know if you heard, but over the weekend, President Obama did declare a health emergency uh, regarding the swine flu. So I decided to look into it, to see what was behind this terrible disease that was sweeping the nation. Um, in Obviously in the, the bad sense of sweeping the nation, not like a dance craze, but like a, like a bad thing. So I decided to investigate, like I said, and uh, what I found is I believe that I have with us here today the actual original swine. Uh, Herbert, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Herbert. I am a swine. I, uh, I also have somehow I've been born with wings and they are uh, on my back. Therefore, I'm able to fly and uh, therefore... Therefore, the swine flu is what I think you're, you're trying to say. Well, yeah, from a certain point of view. I did fly, therefore I flew and I am a pig, so... Uh, I'm like a swine who flew, yeah. Right, right. Now, uh, I now as far as I can tell, you're the only pig ever born with wings, especially functioning wings. I, I couldn't find one even with non-functioning wings, but yours actually work, so... Yeah, yeah, that is true. My wings, my wings do work. Uh, I'm able to, to fly above the ground, uh, many feet in the air, and uh, it's pretty impressive to all the other pigs uh, I know. So, uh, also to the people I know. I don't think anybody can fly if they're a person either, so they probably are fairly impressed by that. Yeah, it's understandable. No, it's totally understandable. I, I, I'm awfully impressed uh, by your ability to fly. Now, uh, I wanted to know why, why is it that you hate America and I guess all of humanity so much that you're spreading this terrible disease? It, it, it just, I don't understand. You seem like a nice guy. You seem pretty personable, piggable. I don't know what you want to call it. Why do you hate us? No, I, no, uh, I'm not entirely convinced that I am actually the source of the swine flu. I did fly, and therefore I flew. But I don't think that I'm the swine flu. I mean, I'm a swine. I, I mean, I understand where you're coming from with the swine and flying flu thing. Yeah, no, it's it's just it's grammar. It's just a, 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 the way that words work. They, they are different. Fly, flu... You know, to fly, flying, I flew, he flew, they flew. No, I know, I know grammar, I know all of that, all of that stuff. But I, I'm saying, I don't think that I'm the source of the disease, though. I, I understand that I flew, but I don't think I cause the flu, if you get what I'm saying. Well, I don't, I don't quite follow you, no, because I, I think that it's fairly clear that you do cause it. No, I don't think I did. I don't think I did. Well, I mean, let's look into the, the facts. It says here that you're from Mexico. Is that correct? No. Yeah. Well, that's true. I'm from Mexico. Which is where the swine flu initially started breaking out this year. No, but that's... 
that's not fair. There's a lot of people in Mexico, and uh, I'm just I'm just one of them. And a lot of pigs there too. So I don't think uh, you can immediately say it was me. But I also see that you moved to America, correct? I you know, I know, and yeah, swine flu moved to America. But no, no, I know, but but you moved to San Diego, which is where the first cases in America were reported, correct? Yeah, but okay, no, look, I don't think that's gonna be no. I mean, you know. and then swine flu has systematic broken out in many other locations around the world, and I'm 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 going to go out on a limb and suggest that you probably have been to some of them. Well, that's, that's spurious. Before we even talked about it, I don't even know if that's true. Well, I can run down the list. Tell me, have you been to these places? Have you been to Canada? Well, yeah. yeah. And have you been to Northern Ireland? Okay. Yeah. Argentina? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Norway? Okay, I've, yeah, I've been to Norway. I was only at Norway for a day, though, so it's really not fair to say that I was the cause. Come on. But no, but I but I think it's look, there's a there's a correlation. Now we know that correlation does not prove causality, but come on. I mean what 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 else could it mean? That you chose to go only to places that have broken out in swine flu? Yo, yo, maybe maybe I uh, uh, only wanted to go maybe I heard that they had swine flu, and I was like, well, I can go there and become swine flu ma- mascot because I have wings. Yeah, okay, why are people going to want a mascot for a disease that's killing their children? Great, thank you. Not to mention, if we check the dates, I'm sure we'll see that you traveled there before the breakouts occurred. Come on, come on, that's not, that's not fair. Well, I think it's fair. Now, did you did you fly there on your own wings? I mean, you, you said you can fly, obviously, so did you just fly to these countries? Well, no, I, I took a, a plane because, you know, it would take a, a long time to, to, to fly there on my wings. They're very small wings. So you were in a plane, even better. Great. You were in a com- com- confined space with a number of people who are going to probably scatter throughout the nation. No wonder this 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 thing is broken out so so hard. Uh, you know, this is ridiculous. I I am. I mean, I got to say, I'm thankful that I am in this environment-controlled, sealed chamber, and that you're outside of it because clearly you have no regard for other human life. Clearly, you are a despicable, irresponsible person who, even though you know you have this disease and that you spread this disease, just doesn't care for all the, the terrible things that you cause around you, and uh, you are disgusting. You are filthy, disgusting, and I personally, I personally am disgusted by you. So, um, anyway, uh, I do have another uh, person I wanted you to talk to. Uh, you mentioned earlier being being born with these wings, which is kind of a strange quirk of evolution, uh, one could say. And we did have someone who wanted to talk to you about that. We, we brought in evolutionary biologist Edwin Price from the Center for Evolutionary Studies. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Now, Mr. Herbert, I understand you'd have us believe that you were born with these wings, which is a very interesting thing. Now, evolutionarily speaking, if we can speak about evolution for a minute, it seems quite unusual for a hog like yourself to just sprout wings. That would be very weird. Now, are you sure that your mother did not have sex with a bird? Holy crow, that's, that's outrageous. I can't even believe you would suggest that. Of course not. My mother would never have sex with a filthy bird. That's disgusting. Oh, all right, God. all right. No, that's fair. That's fair. I'm sorry I even brought it up. But you must appreciate how unusual it would be for you to sprout wings like that. Uh, uh, the idea that you would grow wings, that we would recognize as wings in a bird-like sense, is highly unusual. And even more unusual is the idea that they would be attached to your skeleton in the right way, attached to your muscles in the right way. And even more unusual is that they would actually work in the sense that you could fly. So, you know, we got to investigate all possibilities here. Uh, I thought perhaps 
perhaps maybe the mother bird sex option would be the most likely. No, 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 my, my mother would never, my mother would never, I, I don't think she would ever, so no, no. Right, or no, no, sorry, sorry, that's fair, fair. So then, uh, by, by that logic, I, I would say there's only one other possibility. And what's that, would, would you say? Well, now, would you, would you mind if I examine the, the wings, Mr. Herbert? No, no, okay, well, all right. All right, now, let me, let me see here. Okay, uh, no, it looks like they're they're fairly secured on, so they're not just stuck on casually. I was checking to see if they were stuck on with glue, but at the very least, this is not Elmer's glue, because that would be easy to take off. No, they're not. They're not glued. They're on good, you know. They're not glued. They're attached. Well, it's, it's, it's fair to, to say that they, they are attached, but we can't say it's not glue yet, because I think we're all familiar with the idea that you could glue a man to uh, a girder with a helmet, and he would be able to hold his weight up. So, obviously, glue... Uh, can be pretty strong, so I'm just trying to check this out. I don't. I mean, why would he lie about having wings? It, it's a little ridiculous. I, I I think it's more likely that, like we said, that he did evolve these, these strange mutations. Well, evolution, uh, evolution is only theory, and we have to. That's why we have to put it to rigorous testing. Now, ev- evidence that evolution is actually happening is is a little bit more more rare than you than you might think. So uh, that's why we're trying to disprove this evidence. Disprove the evidence of evolution. I don't. Why would you want to do that? Well, no, it's because that's you know it, it, if. If evolution is real, we can't disprove it. But I think we're just gonna, you know, if we just there now. See now that this here, this here wing is off, which shows that clearly it was not. It was not born that way. It was. It was just. It was just fastened on with something. Else I wouldn't be able to just pull it off like this. No, why would you just pull his wing off? That's ridiculous. Well, I, got, I had to. Well, I had to use it as evidence. You know, this is uh, this is a disproven evidence. Evolution. I'm looking. He's bleeding. All over the place. No, that, that doesn't prove doesn't prove anything because if I glue it to a skin and I pull it off, you know, the skin is going to bleed. No, you're, I thought you were a scientist. Well, I would say I'm a scientist. I'm a scientist who works against the spurious notion of evolution. That's why I set up an institute to study it and make sure nobody believes it because it's not true no more. Of course it's evolution. It's clearly true. You are I'm, You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're outside of the, the bubble because that means you have the swine flu now. You're going to die because of this bastard that you just pulled his wing off. Get the hell out of here, you frog. Hang on, I'm not a Get frog. out of here. Go, go, go. I'm going, but I'm, you know, I'm just saying I'm not No, oh, that was preposterous. Now I've got a stupid hog with one wing. It's ridiculous. Well, hopefully you all learned something about swine flu today, and I am happy about that, but I'm sorry for the pain that we caused one person in the room here. I mean, outside of the bubble, obviously, but in the... We'll be back with more Frank Allen interviews in a few weeks out. I gotta tell you, I don't know what to think of that. Well, think that it was an award-winning interview. Did you win an award for it? No, but I would like to. So if you think that, maybe the award people will think that. Who are the award people? I don't know. People who get... Look, it doesn't matter. The point is, I did an interview it was with a pig, so... Who apparently is dead now. Well, yeah, he died. He he died? I was only kidding. Did you call an ambulance or something? No, No, I didn't call... I mean, he's a pig. He's not a guy. You call an ambulance for a guy. I called a vet. The vet said it was closed, so, you know, he died. Frank, that's terrible. Well, these things happen. Look, it's a pig. I, you know, I ate him. You ate the swine flu pig? It was, look, it was good. Have you ever had pork wings? Pork wings? Yeah. Have you ever had them? No. Well, they're excellent. I don't know if you can have them anymore, because I think this might have been the only one, but they were so good. Seriously, seriously, they were good. If you, if you can find a way to get wings onto pork normally... 
uh, do it because pork wings are really good. That's disgusting, Frank. Well, you know, these things happen. All right, Scape. All right, Scape. Uh, it's just about the end of the show. Uh, but normally you would sing a song now, but we're just going to get right to your actual song. So, you know, I'm going to forgo your song, if that's all right. Dad! Scape, you're doing a whole song. It's, there's a whole big song. Okay, fine. Before we talk about the song a little bit more, I just want to say, uh, we, we did get one piece of mail, which was for the, for the Extra History Now earlier in the show. But we need more mail. We need to get more listener mail. We want to read your mail at the end of the show. You've got questions for us. You've got comments for us. You want to rip into one of our hosts. You want to compliment one of our hosts. Please, feel free to contribute to the podcast in that way. Talk to us about stuff. We're very interested in what you have to say and what you think of the podcast. So, write into us at castinwax at gmail.com. Castinwax at gmail.com. Dot com. All right, now, Scapey, time for pet sounds. What do you think? I think it's awesome. So you like the name now? No, I don't. No, I didn't mean the name. I liked the whole thing. But the name is fine, okay, Dad? It's growing on me a little. But what I really like is the songs. The two songs I did and the new song now is awesome. Good. Well, I'm glad you feel that way. So your new assignment was, as we talked about earlier, to write a song in the style of the 80s. Um, did you find that particularly challenging? Well, I was, like I said, I was not arrived in the 80s, but I just listened to a bunch of 80s songs and there was a lot of good stuff. I, I know uh, last week you were talking about, or two weeks ago, you were talking about the possibility of doing a, a song by the Smiths. Well, no, I didn't do anything like the Smiths, but... I like the Smiths. Well, I didn't say, well, I didn't end up sounding like the Smiths. I think you might be able to tell what my inspirations were, but, uh, I think that I was able to create something unique and culturally relevant for the 80s group, by which I mean the people of the 80s. And hopefully, even the people of today can take a little something out of it as well. Well, that's, I guess that's definitely a good thing to aspire to as an artist, so. That's, that's my goal, for real. All right, well, uh, everybody, uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. Hope you will enjoy Scape's song. Uh, and other than that, we will be seeing you.
on the next episode of Cast in Wax. On guard duty, there's a little bit of vocal confusion. Can you sing? You've got to be able to sing, right? With a voice as clear and dulcet as a summer morn. But Mr. Fahrenheit... You're running hot and cold and I'm running from the start. You're starting not too old and I'm gunning for your heart. Oh! This is going to be awesome! Did they get the wrong script or something? No, I think it's part of the story. I, I think it's part of the story. All right. While on debatatorium, we discuss Bush-era phone tapping. If I'm yeah. making a telephone call, here's what I do. I first dial a number who I want to speak with. Yep. Now, I'm not dialing the number of the government. If every wire goes to the government, obviously that is an offense against my dialer's rights as somebody who put in the correct numbers. Phone tapping's not a bit dated. All you do is history. Oh, speaking of which, we have two days in history. Check, check. Tick, wind up the key. Sacre bleu, I cannot tell if he is French or not. That plus a scary story. And it's all coming two weeks from today. November 9th. To waxwork.com. <laughs>